In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Have a seat. How many of you all drive used cars? Good, I'm not alone. Are you too cheap to buy the new ones? I am. <laughs> I have a wonderful used car salesman. His name is Tommy Kennard, and he hasn't paid me to advertise for him this morning. His offices are in the west of Fort Worth, and it's one of those places where you go by and you see two or three cars on the lot and you wonder how can he make a living? Well, that's because if you go to him and you tell him what kind of a car you want, he'll run out and find it. And one of the things that really surprised me was the first time I did that, he said, here, take the car, drive it for a week, and if you like it, you can have it. And I thought, really? And he said, well, you have to pay for it. <laughs> but, um, but he could have it. And anyway, a friendship developed between me and Tommy. His brother David does all the paperwork, but there won't be a quiz at the end. Tommy, Tommy was telling me a story about when he was in Vietnam with the army in Vietnam. And being a good Baptist boy, he'd never had a drink, never smoked a cigarette, and was 18 year old in Vietnam. Well, some of his brothers in the military decided that he needed to do a little growing up and to do a little growing up fast in the terms of the world. So they took him to what he called a nudie bar. And he asked me if I needed a definition for a nudie bar. And I told him I wasn't always a priest and I knew what that was. <laughs> but anyway, he said that he was really uncomfortable in the nudie bar. He said after a while, they started doing the nudie thing and then the dances started, and then the liquor started coming. And he said it was the only time I'd ever give him thanks for cigarettes because it blurred my vision enough that I couldn't see everything I was supposed to see. But anyway, he said after a little while, I, I, I felt so uncomfortable there, I just had to get out. And he got up, and he said that he exited the bar, and he ran all the way back to the base. And I said, Tommy. Tommy, you weren't certainly afraid of your salvation. The Baptist church taught you better than that. And he said, no, it wasn't that. But that if I was going to be raptured, I didn't want to have to explain to God why I was going to be raptured from a nudie bar. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God. And so it would be. And all of the readings today point us to that. The first reading from Daniel. You hear about how there were false prophets and all sorts of things were going on that drew Israel's attention away from God. And their attention, when it was drawn away, turned to idolatry. And that wasn't the first time that had happened. If you remember, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, when Moses came down from the mountain, there, was, there, were, there were they all and there was the golden calf. They couldn't even wait for Moses to get the ten words of God. And there was the golden calf, and they were driven into idolatry by their own desires and their own pride. We hear them being seduced by the world so many different times that finally, and they should have seen this coming because they were warned, but finally what happened is that they were taken off into captivity. They spent generations in Babylon, and it wasn't until the king of Babylon set them free that they could experience freedom again. They had experienced freedom in, in the Exodus, but only after they'd been in captivity for a long time. And this, you would think, would get to be a pattern where they would know better. 
he almost would be willing to say that they deserved to be drawn off into slavery, having been warned over and over and over again and still not heeding the warning, making sure, oh, yeah, everything will turn out in the end and we'll be fine, and it wasn't. Then you get the reading from the epistle to the Hebrews, but rather than spend a lot of the time on that, I'd like to go straight to the gospel where we hear about, and this is a wonderful turn of phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. If you missed that when Deacon John read it, when you see the abomination that turns to desolate, that, that causes desolation standing where it not ought to be, let the reader understood, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see this thing set up that shouldn't be there, hightail it out of there as fast as you can. Now, what was set up? Remember King Herod? Herod was the one who sold, or rather who was, was responsible for the massacre of the Holy Innocents, trying to get Jesus when he was an infant. That was the father, Herod. The son, Herod, was on the throne now. And Herod had actually set up a Roman eagle, the symbol of, the symbol of what they carried into war had actually set up a Roman eagle right in front of the doors of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, play in the theater of the mind. What could be the most reprehensible thing that Father Petta could do to put in the door to greet you on your way into church this morning? What would it be? I'm sorry? A swastika, that's a good one. What would be your response if you walked in and you found that Father Andrew had set up a swastika in the front of the door? Some of you might just think, I'm out of here, and hightail it away just like the gospel says to. Others of you may think, hmm, that is a symbol for modern Buddhism. Did you know that the swastika is one of the symbols of Buddhism? And that was a cross at one time in the Christian tradition. Maybe he's got something up his sleeve and you might give him another chance. Or you might just pass by and not even notice it. Well, that's the sort of thing that Herod did. The Roman eagle was the symbol that accompanied the Roman soldiers into war. And guess what? Rome had occupied Jerusalem by this time. And that eagle was something that they knew represented the loss of their freedom. Eventually, a few years later in the year 70, they were going to get what was promised them. They were going to get the destruction of the temple. And how did that go? After years of being warned, after seeing the Herod eagle there, because he wanted to favor Curry with Caesar, and he really didn't care what his people thought of him, but after throwing that in their face and being warned again by Mark's gospel, Right? When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out of there. Get out of Dodge. And they didn't. And they didn't act like you thought they might have acted. And what happened? In the year 70, 70 years after the birth of Christ, about 40 years after his death, the temple was destroyed. And it wasn't only destroyed, it was burned. 
Did you know that if you get limestone hot enough, it will burn? Can you imagine what that must be like to get a rock hot enough in order for it to burn? The Romans wanted all the gold that was on the temple, so they burned it so that the gold would run down and they could collect that stuff and run off with the gold and then leave the temple in ruins. That started the diaspora. It started the chance where finally the Jews realized they couldn't fight against Rome and they had to take it seriously and they were dispersed all over the world. And that diaspora continued until after the Second World War, almost 2,000 years until some of the Jews decided we're going to reclaim Jerusalem as our homeland. Now, what has that all got to do with today? I want to suggest to you that there are, in Mark's words, abominations that cause desolations that stand in front of you and me every day. And if we don't pay attention to those signs, if we put those signs behind us and pretend that they don't exist, if we turn a blind eye to them, then they're going to get us just like they got the early Jews in 70. They're going to get us just like they got the Jews when they were driven off to captivity in Babylon. They're going to take care of us, and we're going to wake up one day and say, what happened? We can't afford that to happen, folks. We cannot afford to be unwatchful and unpatient and unaware. We stand at a point in history where we see traditional Christianity buying the farm. Would, you, would your grandparents have recognized what passes for modern treatment of Christianity? What would they say with respect to that? Where we have tax dollars forced us, forced many to pay for things that they believe are reprehensible. Where we have tax dollars that are used to fund all sorts of things that would turn any number of Christians' eyes black with grief. We see a world in which they're actually debating to take tax-exempt status away from churches. You know what your bills would be if you had to pay tax on this property? Am I scaring you? I intend to. That's one of the things a visiting preacher can do. <laughs> he can come in and scare the pants off of you and not worry about what happens as a result. But why am I doing that? I see in my practice, in my psychological practice, and in my priesthood for 35 plus years, I've seen people who don't take these signs seriously. And then one day wake up and say, what happened? How did I get here? Why am I in such a mess? Well, Mark is telling you, the cultural signs are all around us. If you haven't stood up by now, it's time to stand up for your faith in, in a way that you've never stood up for it before. Because there will be consequences. And you know what those consequences are? Look what Mark tells us. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant and nursing women. Pray that this will not take place in winter. In the days before central heating, you didn't want to find your home destroyed and your temple burned and have nowhere to go to keep warm because those days will be filled with unequal distress from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. I can't tell you what it will take for you to take a stand against the unchristian things in this world 
You already know what they are. My question for you this morning is, are you doing it? And I ask myself that every day when I'm having a good day. On bad days, I forget to ask myself that. But on a good day, I will ask myself, what am I doing today to be a visible icon to Jesus in a post-Christian world? One of the things I do is I walk around in funny clothes. I intentionally put all this stuff on today. It would be a lot easier to come up here in, in, in an open-collared shirt and tie. But I've got my preaching tabs on. You know what these things represent? They represent the Ten Commandments. That means the person who wears them is supposed to speak the truth. In England, they wear these in court. So priests and lawyers will have something in common, I think. <laughs> but, um, but those are people who are charged with telling the truth, clergy and lawyers. I've got this nifty red stuff on here that the bishop gave me when, when they made me a canon. My wife said he didn't have to make me a loose canon. I'd been that since we were married. <laughs> but I'm canon for pastoral ministries in the diocese, which means it's my job to wake people up and to care for them in such a way that they're really comforted. You know what comfort is? Comfort is a combination of two words that's formed into one. Com, C-O-M, or C-U-M, when you find it in Latin, means with. In Spanish, C-O-N means with. And fort, F-O-R-T, in Latin means courage. So if somebody is going to comfort you, what they're going to do is not mollycoddle you or treat you like Casper milk toast or simply tell you everything is going to be okay, but someone of real comfort is going to imbue in you courage because that's what comfort is all about. There's a sense in which courage isn't necessary unless you're afraid. Are there things that you're afraid of in the modern world? And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that use your faith to combat them. And it doesn't make a difference if you're the only one on the block doing it. Jesus was the only Christian on the, well, he wasn't a Christian, but he was the only faithful <laughs> Jew on Mount Calvary that day when he was executed, and it didn't stop him. The thief on the right, the good thief, he was the only convert that day other than the centurion who saw Jesus die, and it didn't stop him. I want to encourage you to let nothing stop you as you go out and stand as an icon for Jesus. And you may not have the benefit of dressing like this where the world immediately knows what you are. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. It makes me drive better, I'll tell you. <laughs> if I'm in the convertible too long in my collar, I don't cut people off because I know what it is to um, be cut off and I don't want to see a Christian doing that. By the way, if you have a fish on the back of your car or a St. Barnabas logo, don't drive like a devil. Do that. But whatever it takes for you to stand up and be counted as a Christian, for whatever it takes, whether it's a cultural issue, whether it's a societal issue, whether it's a legal issue, whatever it takes, have the courage to do it. Let me comfort you. Let me throw that courage in you through the words of Holy Scripture, because I can't do it alone. Jesus is the source of real comfort. He's the source of real strength. And comfort without strength just isn't comfort. Now, for those of you who are time in the sermon, the sermon's over. I have one other thing that I'd like for you to do.
with me this morning, and I would like for you to receive a gift. A long time ago, when I was disabled, I learned that needlepoint could help me deal with stress. Now, my mother-in-law, when I tried to teach her how to do that, it gave her stress, so it didn't work there. But for me, that repetitious coloring with thread or coloring with yarn is very good for me. And it's a way that I can settle down. It's a way I can regroup. It's a way I can even say my prayers as a Christian. I kind of use needlepoint like a rosary, counting and thinking, okay, one more square, one more square. One of the things I like to do is I like to needlepoint something for parishes who have just gone out of mission status into parish status. And COVID has kept me from two years from being with you. But that's what I did when you guys were presented at diocesan convention in 2019. And um, you know how to go, ooh. <laughs> Here you go. The theme of the convention that year was to God be honor and glory. And there's a crown on this. And if you read the, ins the, the inscription here, it says from mission to parish, 16 November, almost two years to the day, AD 2019. St. Barnabas the Apostle Fort Worth, Father Andrew, Father Andrew Petta Rector. I'd love for you to put this somewhere. And I'd like for you when you see it to Thank you. Almost as if by cue. <laughs> and, and I'd like to, when you see this, when you see this, when you see this crown, remember the king of kings who calls you to positive action every day of your life. When you see this crown, put it on like the bride and groom in an orthodox wedding, realizing that when they do it right, they can affect change, and they can actually rule in their part of the world. And when you see this crown, remember your destiny in the kingdom of heaven, where all things Christian live and exist without inhibition. And if you're careful, and if you do it right, you can experience some of that heaven right here even on earth. So I leave this with you, and I leave these words. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, translate that to 21st century Fort Worth. When you see the culture or politics or whatever it is trying to pull the next death to Christians act, run like anything. <laughs> I told you I'd be good. Run like anything and do something about it and pray that I'll have the courage to do something about it too. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen. amen.